0: You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now, here's your host, Vince.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 173 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast coming to you on June 17th. How are you doing this week, Raj? I'm surviving. Better than last
0: week. Put it that way.
1: It, last week was a rough week, all right. It was, yeah. <laughs> Before we get into our discussion for this week, have you seen the big numbers for Rocket Raccoon number one? No. Marvel announced that uh, after the preliminary order cutoff date, Rocket Raccoon number one has pre-sold three hundred thousand
0: copies. Okay, now me being the noob that I am what's a good normal pre-sale? Well, Amazing Spider-Man
1: did, I think, five or six hundred. Okay. And that was the hugest one in a long time. Right. Very few comics on a monthly basis break one hundred. That's, you know, Batman, Amazing Spider-Man, maybe an Avengers comic. Not not a whole lot breaks the one hundred thousand mark, but for Rocket Raccoon to do three, that's insane.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, it is. Yeah, I haven't the read it yet.
1: Part is that people, you know, broke down the numbers and looked at the sources and found out that one source was responsible for approximately half of those sales. Loot Crate ordered one hundred and fifty thousand <laughs> copies. <laughs> okay, well, that's hardly as, as fair. Then <laughs> previously. I happen to be a Loot Crate subscriber. Oh, you're getting one, you damn. Fantasy. So I'm very happy to know that I'm assuming in next month's box, I'll be getting a copy. Part of my $15 was going to go to a copy of a pretty awesome little Scotty Young comic. <laughs> like Rocket Raccoon, take it or leave it. But it's a Scotty Young comic. So that good. in and of itself is interesting for me. And a lot of people have been bashing this. Like, oh, that's, you know, it's inflating the numbers artificially and this and that. Those aren't all going to people who would have bought it. I'm like, well, that's a good thing, though. Out of that hundred and hundred to hundred and fifty thousand boxes that they're going to send out in july yeah probably a significant portion of those people wouldn't have bought the comic so it's good for loot crate they're going to send out something that their people that their subscribers are interested good for the subscribers they're going to get something new that they possibly haven't seen before and it's good for marvel because it gets new fans into reading comics so as far as i'm concerned all around this is a win
0: Whoever came up with the idea, whether it was it's Loot Crate who approached them or Marvel who approached Loot Crate,
1: well, Loot Crate that officially was... ordered them through Diamond. So if, if it was a Marvel thing, they wouldn't have gone through Diamond. Right?
0: Oh, that's that's fantastic. That's mm. really really good
1: idea. Yeah, because I, I, the the first when I first found out about Loot Crate, it was when they did their Attack on Titan box where yeah. they had the the first issue of the manga in there. Now, unfortunately, I didn't get on board fast enough to get that, but. So th- this is uh, this is it's a not unusual for them.
0: Yeah. No, they should keep doing that because the more they can introduce like you were saying these people who wouldn't otherwise be buying the comics. I mean, they're going to get it for free. The odds are a lot of them will actually take the time to read it. And so that's that's great.
1: Mm-hmm. And even taking that out of the equation, the freaking raccoon comics still sold 150,000 yeah. copies to retailers. Yeah. In and of itself that's very impressive. Very all right. Well, this week's discussion, I actually decided on exactly a week ago <laughs> because you had mentioned that you started reading the Dresden Files novels. Are you still on the first
0: one? I finished the first one and I yeah. I opened the second one. I didn't start it because I knew, by then it was like quarter to three in the morning when I finished the first one. I couldn't stop reading. Yeah, so it's it was like, one
1: of those books that once you reach about the halfway point, you're never closing it. Yeah.
0: So I just opened. And I stopped right there. I was like, okay, I'll go back to it later.
1: <laughs> and I, I've been a huge fan of the novels for several years now. And were you even aware that there were comics?
0: Actually, no, I wasn't. I'm not surprised. Um, what I was surprised at is the fact that it's actually Jim Butcher who wrote the comics as well. So that was, that's damn cool hmm
1: So what we're diving into here is The Dresden Files' Welcome to the Jungle, which is actually, I don't want to say it's a prequel, but it takes place before the first novel, Stormfront. It came out in 2008, published by the Dabble Brothers, which is a comic imprint that really specializes in novel adaptations for comic books. They do, you know, Game of Thrones, they did Ender's Game, you know, Anita Blake. You know, if it's a popular book odds are they published a comic version of it this was i think just after their very brief association with marvel and at this point i think they were they were self-publishing but yeah as you said it was written by jim butcher art by ardian seoff and about a thousand inkers, and there was no uh specific colorist credited just uh digicore studios and this is pretty much what you can expect out of the Dresden Files novels. Uh, For those who aren't familiar, it takes place in modern-day Chicago, where our protagonist Harry Dresden is a wizard. That's what it says on his business card. (laughs) Like Right off the bat, it's such a goofy concept. But as we've seen, it really works. It's a lot of fun because... Wizards aren't exactly accepted in modern society. It's it's not a fantasy world. It's actual Chicago that this guy is existing in. And it's a lot of fun because everything fits into that real-world aesthetic. And then you throw in possession and trolls and goblins and you name it. And it's just a fun ride.
0: What's funny is that we, uh, myself and my wife and, and the youngest, we started – we, our journey into Dresden Files, by way of the TV show, which I'm I'm gonna assume actually there's probably a lot of people who went that route as well. That's because, how I found out about it. Yeah, because it was on Netflix for a while, and so we started. I actually
1: watched it when it uh, first aired on Sci Fi Channel.
0: Oh yeah, uh, so... yeah. And
1: then I went into my bookstore. I was looking for something to read, and they had a huge display set up for the Dresden Files because. Book eight, I think, had just come out at the time. I went, "Hey, I recognize that!" You know, grabbed up a whole bunch
0: of them. It's funny because, like, you've—I think I've shown you pictures of my library. We have a lot of books, and we spend a lot of time in bookstores as well, too. And I tend to, to a certain degree, keep up with various books—at least what is out. Not necessarily reading everything. I had never heard of it, so I. I don't know how he managed to miss it, but I had no clue whatsoever about these. So, but then the freaking TV series was so bloody good. And I'm not a big wizards and sorcery type of reader. Um, I do read some fantasy, but it's not my preferred, you know, again, that wizards and fantasy. I'm not knocking like, say, like the Harry Potter stories but it's not my thing. So I was really surprised at just how much I enjoyed this. And it's entirely because of how well-written the character of Harry is, Harry Dresden, because the rest of the cast tends to be either stereotypes or caricatures of that type of character. And it's only, they're only interesting because you're seeing them through Dresden's eyes. But the character of Dresden is so bloody good that it's it's a blast to read because it's all first person, of course.
1: Yeah, at least early on, I'll, I'll agree with that, that the characters obviously change and evolve over the course of 15 novels.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because the first one, like both my wife and I actually started reading the novels at the same time. And we both agreed, as good as it is, there are a number of, I don't want to say problems, but quirks with the way that Butcher writes that we didn't look into it enough to know to see whether or not that's just because that's, I don't know if that's his first novel ever, if he was just, you know he's a young starting out novelist I
1: think it was his first major published work Yeah, yeah.
0: so I'm hoping that as time goes on that he gets comfortable enough in his writings that we won't be seeing those kind of issues but even taking that into consideration and then going back to the comic book it's so well written still, that it's it's a blast to read. And I found actually the comic book was better in some ways because one of the things that we didn't like about the novels is that everybody gets described in detail all the time. doesn't matter how many times he bumps into Murphy, you're getting a full-blown description of how she looks, her hair, her stance, her clothing, everything. And it's like, we don't need quite that much. Whereas with this, he does not bother with that because the illustrator is doing that job. So it works even better in this way.
1: And also, the, the first novel, Stormfront, uh, came out in 2000. So he had eight years to refine his yeah. writing before the comic came yeah. out. Well, what we have here for the story and for the first, I want to say about half dozen books, it plays out as a detective story where, yes, he's technically a wizard, but his role functions more as a private investigator or a uh, police advisor. To to the cases that, well, regular criminology can't quite solve, They they, they bring in their pocket wizard. <laughs> it's one of those things that, again, it's such a ludicrous concept, but if you can at least get on board with, okay, this is where we're going, you can have a lot of fun with it. Our story starts off with a murder at the zoo. One of the security guards has been... Just There's not much left of the guy, let's just say. And all the evidence points towards the fact that a gorilla escaped and mauled him and somehow got back in his cage and locked the door. So this is where they can come up with a semi-plausible explanation, but not enough to make a case out of it. And they have to bring in Harry because... Karen Murphy, the director of special investigations, has been on enough cases and realizes that, yeah, something's not adding up here and this is probably something that Dresden can help them out with. So what do you think of the the police advisor concept of the series? Because, I mean, it's it kind of falls into that Sherlock role that we're so familiar with.
0: I'm so used to seeing that kind of thing right now. I wonder how much the actual cops do with their own <laughs> Between between Sherlock Elementary, which is Sherlock as well, you have The Mentalist, you have all of these shows that are essentially exactly this. But again, it's one of those, he needs to be put as a writing device, he needs to be put in the thick of these crimes without headbutting too much with the cops or... You know, having to work around that. This is a very simple plot device that still actually works.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it it doesn't. I don't want to say it's a cliche because it doesn't really affect the story. It's just a jumping off point. That yeah yeah it's it's very effective for what it does. Yep. So while he's there, he meets uh, several important people, Dr. Watson, the uh, head of the Big Cats exhibit, Dr. Reese, the gorilla expert, Mo, our friendly gorilla and murder suspect, and Dr. Reese's assistant, Will, which we come to find out is short for Wilhelmina. And Who again, does that to the child? <laughs> <laughs> this is where the I, I really enjoy Butcher's writing, and it's in his interactions between the characters. And Harry is such an off the ball character that he's so sarcastic. He's in a lot of ways kind of a jerk and seeing him play against these authority figures never stops being entertaining.
0: It's funny you say the jerk thing because I see some of myself, <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're not some, some of the
0: answers and some of the way that he talks and things like that. I'm going, that's exactly what I would have done. You go <laughs> I don't take no crap from that. <laughs> Uh, the case takes a bit of an odd turn when
1: Dresden and Will, Will, I'm not going to call her Willamina either, <laughs> Will, are attacked by a lion. <laughs> and it's uh, obviously under some sort of uh, possession or mind control. They manage to trap the lion in a broom closet and then the rest of the big cats are on them. Made for and, some
0: very interesting art.
1: Yes, I, I really enjoyed the art Overhaul, through a lot yeah. of this. Yeah. You can see the uh, the issues with the multiple inkers. It was a little inconsistent at points, but uh, CF's actual pencil work, yeah, it's, it was very solid. And again, I don't know exactly who did the colors, but they were pretty good all throughout. Yep. I also really liked the, the cover art. I, I didn't look and see who did the covers, but it was a completely different style from the comic, but pretty darn cool as well. Yeah. And this is where we find out now that, okay, big cats attack Dresden. Well, it's got to be the big cat lady. So they go after Will, find uh, some blood-soaked jars in her office, and we meet the best character in all of Dresden. (laughs) And that's Bob the Spirit. (laughs) Bob is an intelligent spirit who, well, knows everything there is to know, resides inside of a human skull... And it's the biggest horn dog ever to grace planet Earth. We don't get a lot of Bob in this comic. And that's disappointing because it, Bob has always been my favorite
0: character throughout. Is there any point, and you don't have to tell me if it really spoils a plot story device kind of thing going, coming up in the books. Any point where he turns into the Bob that we saw in the TV show?
1: No, TV series Bob was a creation Purely for TV. All right. Yeah.
0: Because for people who haven't watched the TV show, the Bob in the TV show um, actually comes out of the skull as an apparition kind of thing. He's got no physical properties, but he he appears kind of like a hologram kind of thing. And I don't know the name of the actor, but the guy who plays it, I hear his voice when Bob in the books speaks or in the comic book. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> and Bob draws upon his centuries of knowledge to decipher the fact that our Dr. Watson is actually a Hecatean hag, an ancient Greek witch. And, well, I don't care how good of a wizard you are, an ancient witch is going to trump anything you have going for you.
0: He's Come resourceful, to- though.
1: Bob is not
0: Bob, but Dresden is resourceful.
1: Yes. Come to find out that uh, she's been collecting the essences of the various animal totems to conduct a ritual, which will allow her to ascend beyond her mortal coil and gain greater power. As Bob goes on to describe, well, how do you think Hecate came about, basically? And this is where you say, yes, Harry is very resourceful. He's a wizard. He has these phenomenal powers. He can summon gusts of wind, blasts of force, incredible fire from his wand – but he still packs a forty-five in his left yeah. coat pocket as well, <laughs> and that's the thing that really drives the entire concept of Dresden home for me. Yes, you have this ludicrous stuff, but it's still relatable. Like, I, listen, if I was going up against unknown foes, regardless of how many magic spells I know, yeah, a little bit of actual, you know, American iron would not be against my philosophy.
0: <laughs> well. I kind of wish that he had clipped a little bit of the writing from that first novel to put in here too, because it would have been, it, it would have been nice because one of the things that he says in there too, and when he's talking about wizards is it's not just that they're very powerful. It's that if they know even a little of what's coming up, they're going to prepare and it's clipping on all kinds of different spells or enchantments or, or items or whatever that can help them regardless of what might happen. And that's where, again, the gun comes in, because it's not magic, but it might do the job as well. So it's I like that concept that he wrote into the character.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to uh, really tell you guys how it ends, because, you know, why why would I do that? But uh, let's just say Harry being Harry, he, of course, gets in completely over his head. <laughs> and Mo the Gorilla is the best character in the comic. <laughs> not arguing. <laughs> and it's cool because after this, they actually published adaptations of the first two novels in uh, Stormfront, which actually I believe was 12 issues of that adaptation, which is shocking because it was a pretty short novel. I'm guessing maybe they just had some issues with actually – handling the adaptation. And then they did uh, Full Moon, which was actually only six issues. At which point the rights, I don't know if it was still with Dabble Brothers just in partnership with Dynamite or if the rights themselves went to Dynamite. It's a little sketchy on exactly what happened. But basically Dynamite is publishing the Dresden comics now and they're actually doing completely new stories. Uh, They recently last last year maybe early this year wrapped up uh, ghoul goblin and actually just last week they came out with uh, the first issue of their new comic war cry
0: hmm.
1: now uh, I would not recommend reading those yet uh, the ghoul goblin takes place I believe after the third novel and war cry is somewhere around like six or seven so then, if you're interested in reading the books definitely check out uh, welcome to the jungle but be careful what you read because it may spoil future storylines for you okay but at the same time, the adaptations for Stormfront and Full Moon are pretty much exactly what you get in the novels. Like, I haven't read all of them. I kind of looked through them because, well, I already know what happens in the story. And it did seem pretty on point to me.
0: Okay.
1: Which, of course, leads into what we're reading because, well, I read that first issue <laughs> of Warcry. <laughs> uh, it takes place, like I said, it's around like the sixth novel or so where uh, Harry has been given a certain – level of authority in the wizarding community believe it or not and he actually has some trainees behind him and uh they end up having to protect this uh group of friendlies let's just say i'm trying not to ruin anything for you Raj. i don't worry about it <laughs> from a pretty nasty uh group of vampires and it's cool because this was a really awesome point in harry's life that wasn't really put into any of the novels like you get some flashbacks and a lot of references but actually seeing him in action at this point is pretty welcome to a fan cool all right also uh, new avengers i've been enjoying this for quite a while now it's been a really character focused you know hickman-esque story of this for god was it 20 issues now 20 plus Of the Illuminati, you know, Tony Stark, Reed Richards, and all the brain trust of the Marvel Universe having to, as we discussed when it first came out, having to protect Earth because universes keep colliding with Earth as the focal point. And if one of the Earths isn't destroyed, well, both of them are down. So it's basically been them destroying Earth after Earth. I mean, when you really think about it, they're becoming mass murderers on a galactus level (laughs) with the number of other planets they've blown up to protect their planet. And it's been an interesting character study of, yes, on one hand, they're doing what they need to do because, well, what's the alternative? But on the other hand, that's a pretty big bridge to cross for a lot of these characters. I mean, we've seen Beast on board, Black Panther, and it really troubles them. So for the last couple issues, they've actually been observing... Another Earth going through similar scenarios. And the heroes on this Earth are an analog of the Justice League. You have Batman, you have Superman, you have the Flash, (laughs) but of course, all in different ways. But it's pretty fun. And seeing how they've been protecting their Earth, and they've only gone through a couple of incursions, but each time they managed to get through it without destroying the other planet, at least uh, one that was still occupied by humans. We've seen some other evil races that are using the incursions for their own benefit. And of course, we come to the point where now Avengers Earth and not the Justice League Earth are going up against each other. One of the planets is going to have to be destroyed. So the Avengers, the Illuminati, not actually the Avengers, go to the not Justice League's Earth to negotiate, knowing full well that plan B is, well, even plan A is one of these Earths is going to have to die. And it's just a great character study of seeing, because at the end of the previous issue, they, they used the, the term, you know, we fought a lot of worlds full of villains. What happens when we fight one of heroes? And throughout this whole thing, you have, you know, Stark and Beast trying to do the whole moral, oh, you know, what are we supposed to do? Going up against, you know, Superman. <laughs> Superman and Batman are pretty clear as far as their moralities. And they're not really having a lot of it. And throughout the whole thing, you just have Namor being awesome. (laughs) Because as we know, Namor doesn't give a crap. It's just been a really great character study and seeing the different angles Hickman is coming at. This basically the same story every couple issues has been really enjoyable. I've
0: actually I stopped reading a while back. I'm going to have to go back and get caught up.
1: Yeah, it's not a lot of action. It's not a it's not all it's not a comic booky comic book, but it's been a very good ride. Cool. And uh, how are you on all new X-Men? I, the only
0: one I haven't read is the last one.
1: So as you know, they're bringing the, uh, the future brotherhood back into the storyline. Mm. And a lot of the, the issue 27, I think as well, as, along with issue 28, is finally telling us what happens in the future. As we saw in Battle of the Atom, all we know is that something went wrong. We don't know what went wrong. We don't know how the characters got to the points where they are. So Bendis, you know, peeling back that layer and showing us, you know, Ray's and Xavier—they're basically half brothers and what they've gone through and especially once you get to 28 you get them going up against the x-men finding out how beasts defected how you know gene gray and all these other characters came to join xavier and rays in their quest and that's a cool thing to see because i was really hoping we would see what happened in that future and thankfully bendis has not disappointed me on that one
0: cool all right what have you got for us this week um did you read the last invincible
1: 111 yes
0: okay Apparently, it can never get too violent. Nope. <laughs> this, this should be a DC imprint, let's be honest. <laughs> like, it's it's not just, like, one guy is going to die. <laughs> it's like, we're going to kill everybody. In the
1: most horrific way
0: Ryan Otley can imagine. <laughs> Pretty much. Um I had not yet read one Ten, so I read mm-hmm. that one, and then for the 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 rape that you were talking about at the end and uh after reading it it i I actually would say it has not been handled as appropriately as I believe it should have, but not.
1: Yeah, like it's
0: it's really it hasn't
1: been addressed, and so they just kind of mentioned it and then moved on with their storyline, which I don't know if it's the right move.
0: Yeah, it could still be viewed as sensationalism at the end of 110. I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. that's how I feel. Um, but 111 was, was, again, interesting, it's it sure was action beginning to end, robot being the ultimate badass imaginable psychopath at the end completely calm as he's ripping off her leg um wow it was just yeah all the blood and gore you can imagine <laughs> and
1: then keep so, in mind this is the comic where like three issues ago somebody's face got turned inside out.
0: Yes. Yeah. man um what's the other one did you read the new um nightcrawler number three
1: no, I haven't read number three yet.
0: Okay, I. The writing is weird in this, in that, and I felt it the same way. Like our minds. yeah. But it's, you know, some writers are so fluid in how they tell their stories, and from page to page, and even the panel and everything, it it's it's fluid. But this is so. I don't know. It's. It doesn't feel fluid in the least in how it's told, and so it—it's it, subtle, but it's enough so that it—it it kind of irks me when I'm reading it.
1: I mean, it—it's it, a writer whose most popular comics were 30 to 40 years ago, and he hasn't changed his style a great deal in the interim.
0: Yeah, it's I, I'm I'm I want to love this so badly because it's Nightcrawler for Christ's sakes, but. He's making it hard, because it is, I don't, it's not well told, the story. And then on top of that, the story is fairly cliched. So it's kind of like, come on, really? So right down to the bro moment with him and Wolverine having beers. It's like, "Uh, mm." so I wasn't. I I have not been as thrilled with any of the issues. They've been all right, but nothing spectacular. But this one more than the other ones, just kind of, again, the flow just didn't feel right.
1: Yeah, it, it strikes me as more of just a nostalgia project. They're not trying to tell a great story. They're not trying to be as you know groundbreaking as a lot of the other solo yeah. series we're seeing. It's just like, okay, here's a fan favorite character, a fan favorite writer. Just go do some old school stuff and we'll sell
0: yeah. some copies. Uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, number two.
1: No, I haven't read that yet.
0: Okay, I won't spoil it then. Okay, uh, let's go. Good over though. Um, <laughs> all right, but my hopes were a lot higher yeah. for this series than what we're seeing here. So I, yeah, it's again, it it was all right, but it was, it's just not on par with what I'd been hoping for. So you'll see when you read it. Okay. Um, what's the last one I wanted to talk about? There was one last one. Oh, uh, Spider-Man. Um, what is it? Point two.
1: Yeah, I didn't like one point one, so I didn't even bother with one point two. Honestly,
0: one point two, and and this is Slot who wrote this, and it's again it's following this Clash new dude. Okay. First of all, <laughs> a, I didn't like this, let's just get that right out of the way. If you put this in front of my face and didn't tell me who wrote it and just let me read it and guess, I would never guess Dan slot. I simply would not. I know that he's changing up the way that it's written to somehow match the origin issues, but even as such, it's not coming off well at all. Plus there's the problem with when the origin things were and then the timelines of like the devices and the different things, like people are walking around with cell phones and stuff like that. So what are we going with here in terms of timeline, actual timelines or like real life timelines, like yeah. what they should like, be, what they are?
1: Clearly it's not the 60s.
0: Yeah, it's not. It's, but
1: if we figure, you know, Pete's in. In what? At the youngest, his late 20s, I, which would put his origin somewhere in the early 90s. I'd still put him in his 30s. I I said at the earliest, yeah. his late
0: 20s. I'd still, I don't know, I'd still pick him in his 30s at least. And, like, you got, like, these fancy laptops and cell phones, and I'm going, hmm, I don't know about this.
1: Yeah, As I, it was the whole thing with what we saw in that backup on Amazing number one and 1.1. It just it just didn't work for me in a, on a certain number of levels.
0: Yeah, this, it really, really does not. Again, I know he's trying to go with the old-school, feel, especially when you consider the art from Perez and stuff like that, but it's the storytelling as well. I just was not digging it at all. I really did not like it at all. Mm-hmm. So that's it for me. Oh, now, before oh. you start in with what's coming though, did you get the email from, hold on one second here, Um IDW is going to be publishing uh, a Borderlands series. Oh, Yep. It's going to be the fall of Firestone, and it doesn't say when it's starting, but it's taking off from when the miniseries ended, I believe. And it's going to be, it doesn't say if it's a miniseries. Um, or One if
1: important it's, thing, is Handsome Jack in it?
0: It doesn't say. Mm. I, I don't know that he will, uh, I don't know. But it sounds like it might be an ongoing, but I, I don't know for certain. It doesn't, again, it doesn't know, stay, With, it, with
1: that it title, wow. it sounds like something that would have a limited
0: run. I don't know. I, I no clue. Yeah. But man, right. I'm excited. Yeah. So, because like the writer was saying that, they, that was, uh, who was the wrote it? I can't remember now. Uh, Mickey Newman. And saying that they want, he wanted to work on, on, uh on a new Borderlands ever since he finished the Borderlands Origins. That's what it is. It's following after that Origins. And uh, he'd been wanting to work on it just because it's so much fun writing those characters in that setting because that IP is so wonderful from a writing perspective of what you can do with it. So really, really looking forward to this. See, I actually still haven't read the Origins. Was that the the second group or the original four? That was the second group, I believe. Okay. Yeah, because it was the Origins with different characters. That was freaking awesome. I loved them maybe we'll have to do it on an episode oh yeah (laughs) now now can i go on yeah sure
1: all right for our recommended new releases this week marvel brings us avengers number 31 iron man number 28 nova number 18 original sin number four thunderbolts number 27 with their new creative team and uncanny x-men number 22 from Image, we have a pretty good lineup this week with only three comics. We have Manhattan Projects, number 21, Sex Criminals, number 6, and the new comic from uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, The Wicked and The Divine. Pretty weird concept. Don't know if it's going to be my thing, but a lot of people who have got advanced copies are really digging it. So Cool. And then from IDW, we have Samurai Jack, number 9, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 35.
0: it's a Good week.
1: Yes. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. So until next week, thanks for listening.
0: Don't forget to tell them about Popcorn Norman this week. Go ahead. Okay. Popcorn running this week. It's going to be coming out at the same time as this, and it is going to be our episode talking about the TV series, the first season of Marvel's Agents of Shield. So we had a lot of fun. We of course talked about how it started from the comic books as well, and how it progressed into the TV series. A ton of fun, and that's going to be coming out at the same time. So make sure to check it out, popcornrun.com. Good job, Roger. I came prepared. <laughs> 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 All right.